And I want to uh, read a passage from Colossians and chapter 1. And so if you've got a Bible with you and you'd like to follow the reading. Um, so Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. We're going to read it in two versions. The NIV first and uh, then in the message version. I don't know if you heard also this week that uh, Eugene Peterson uh, died. And he's the one who's translated the message primarily for his own church, that they might understand the Bible more in, in, in sort of modern language. And I think it took him 20 years to do. It's amazing. And he's uh, uh, gone to be with the Lord. So we're going to read um, his translation as well. So from Colossians 1. He's talking about Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church in, in a group of churches around Colossae. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. To present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And now from the message translation. From verse 15. There, thanks. So it's the same passage, just Eugene's translation. We look at this son... And we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and we see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. And not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. 
And you yourselves are a case study in what he does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in the bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets the same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. I like reading both together. It just gives another insight, I guess, in a way. Let's just pray uh, together. Lord, the Apostle Paul wrote these words to bless and encourage believers there in Colossae 2,000 years ago. And we thank you that we have them today, the words that he wrote down. And we pray that as we read them out, and as we talk about them today, that you might inspire us that we might too receive that message that he wanted to bring. Would you apply it to our hearts in Jesus' name? Amen. The most successful tourist attraction to appear in London in recent years is the London Eye. Hands up if you've been on the London Eye. Ooh, it is popular, isn't it? It is absolutely amazing. From a distance, it looks like a giant Ferris wheel, but when you get up closer, it is huge. It rises 450 feet above the Thames. It contains 32 capsules, which can hold up 20 people, and it just goes round slowly, and it takes about 30 minutes uh, to rotate a full circle, unless it breaks down and you're hovering there for hours up at the top. And it's plenty of time to take in the most amazing views of London. Isn't that amazing? Thanks, Al. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul gives us one of the most amazing and breathtaking descriptions of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. It is absolutely breathtaking to read that and know that that is our Jesus who we worship today. The incomparable Christ, the cosmic Christ, Jesus, supreme Lord and all sufficient Savior. Why does Paul write this? Because Paul knows that what we know about Jesus, what we believe about Jesus is the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our discipleship. People have asked me over the years on the Alpha Course, why do we start with the Alpha Course week one, who is Jesus? Why don't we start with a talk, so is there a God? We start with Jesus because he is God. And he's the revelation of God. Paul wrote this letter to this Church, they were very early on in their their witness for Jesus, but he writes to encourage the believers in their faith. He writes to reassure them 
of their standing in Jesus. And he writes to challenge those who would seek to confuse those believers and lead them astray. So the situation around Colossae, which was planted as an overflow of Paul's mission into Ephesus... He spent two years there, but those who were converted in Ephesus, particularly Epaphras, who was mentioned in chapter 1 of Colossians, went into Colossae and planted these churches. But there were churches under pressure because at that time there was persecution then as there is now. There was pressure from the culture that they lived in. They had been saved out of a very pagan culture, which was very different. And there were those who were coming into the early church who were teaching them things that were not the apostles' teaching. They were coming with new revelations. Some of them were kind of saying, well, yeah, Jesus is a good start, but you need more than Jesus. Some had claimed to have new insights, special revelations. The Holy Spirit had revealed more things to them. And when you meet people like that, they can seem really impressive because, wow, you've had that experience? I haven't had that experience. And these teachers were saying, well, because of their their experiences, they they had new revelation that... Actually, you had to be stricter in the things that you ate and that that you drank. They also encouraged worship of spiritual beings. The angelic world. And all of it meant that you actually took your eyes off Jesus. Playing down the sufficiency of Christ. As I read the commentaries this week, I came over across a new word, speciousness. And Edward wasn't here, so I couldn't ask him what it meant. (laughs) I looked it up. And and the description I found that that was really more accurate is something that's pleasing but deceptive is specious. It's pleasing, but it's deceptive. It sounds good, but it's not right. I come across this again and again, particularly on the Alpha Course. So I'm apologizing if I'm already spouting about the Alpha Course, because we're in week two, and I've already heard these things. Well, aren't all religions all the same? Surely God loves everybody, wants everyone in heaven. And you know what? It sounds really nice, but it's wrong. It's not true. Because of who Jesus is. You cannot compare Jesus to anybody else. He is incomparable. That's what Paul is writing here. Jesus is incomparable. And he bursts into this sort of glorious um, praise of Jesus. It's almost like a worship song that he bursts into. I remember when I was first converted, my best friend said to me, well, we're all all right in the end because we're all going up the same mountain, but from different angles and we'll meet at the top in the same place. And I said, no, we're not. Jesus stands alone. He alone claimed to be God. He alone claimed that he could forgive sins. He alone claimed that he will judge 
everyone who has ever lived. He's not just one amongst many. And I'm sure that Paul, in writing this, as he gets carried away with his praise of Jesus, that underlying that, that's what he wants to get across. The uniqueness of Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus, the sufficiency of Jesus, that he is worthy of our undivided worship. That we are not to be distracted or diverted by things that might seem nice to believe, but are not true. For Paul, if we deny Christ's uniqueness, we deny Christ. Paul is writing about 30 years or so after Jesus died. I read from John's gospel at the beginning because I want you to know that both John, Peter, all the apostles had come to this revelation that Jesus, who they'd walked with, talked with, laughed with, gone on boats with, is God. In the flesh. Come to save humanity. And so he begins this amazing uh, passage. The son is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Yes, we could have an alpha course of eight weeks of just, is there a God? I don't know. Is there a God? Is there a God? I don't know. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In Jesus, we see the God who cannot be seen. The invisible God of the universe has made himself visible by coming himself as a human being. In all that humility and vulnerability. To save humanity from itself. From its sin. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Jesus said, the Father and I are one. Mankind was made, created in God's image to reflect his image. We're made for a relationship with God and that image gets lost. It's described very early on in the Bible, in the first few chapters of Genesis. That image is broken because of our rebelliousness. And so we're separated by our own sins and faults from a holy God. We can look around and see that the world is marred by sin. Whether it be from just the the pollution of our world, the plastics in our seas, that's sin. At the root cause, because it's, it's our problem, our faults, what we've made, about greed, how dumping stuff. To all the other things that we can see around our world. And Jesus comes himself. God in the flesh. To restore that image. To restore that brokenness. To forgive sin. And in that amazing passage. Paul says in verse 19. That God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. All his fullness. Dwell in Christ. Jesus was fully human. No one denies that he was a human being. Paul says he was also fully God. Incomparable to any other so-called gods. Whether they be pagan. Whether they be other religions. Jesus didn't come to found a religion. You read what he says. He says, come follow me. He came to birth a new community. 
those who identify with him and who will spend eternity with him. It crosses all boundaries. Everybody is welcome. Paul says that Jesus is the creator of the world. He's the architect of creation. In him all things were created. So he's also the recreator because he's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to make all things new. Where all that sin and evil will be done away with, he's going to bring heaven and earth together. That's what we call heaven and it's coming. Jesus is going to bring that. Where there is no sin, death or evil, sickness or suffering, a new creation. And it's begun when Jesus was raised from the dead. That's when it started. That new creation. Death has been defeated. So Jesus is the creator and recreator of the universe. When he was interviewed by the Jewish authorities when he lived, they talked about Abraham being their sort of spiritual father. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus. Jesus says, before Abraham lived, I lived. Because he was pre-existent. He, he was there from the very beginning. Paul's intention is to unite what we so easily divide. When we talk about God, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is not God and then Jesus and the Holy Spirit. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. It's what we call the Trinity. And they're all involved in that process of creation and recreation. They're all involved. You can't separate them. There's no hierarchy in the Godhead. Yes, they do different things. But Jesus would have been there from the very beginning with his Father and the Holy Spirit. And then he humbles himself. He becomes a human being. And he comes to rescue. And they are together in that finished work. So the whole created order, time and space, owes its existence to Jesus. Would you ascribe that to any other person? Would you ascribe that to any other philosopher, religious leader, teacher? Not a bit of it. That's why Jesus is so unique. So much for the glory of intermediary and heavenly powers that these false teachers were saying, oh, they're more important than Jesus. Not a bit of it. He is supreme over all. He's supreme over the church. And Paul says that actually over the church, Jesus is the head. Head of the body. He uses that imagery in lots of his letters. If, if you take the head away from the body, you don't get much going on. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He's our head. Supreme. And we are God's new humanity. The company of those who share in the risen life of Jesus, that fellowship of all those who have believed in Christ Jesus, 
In the Old Testament, you were saved by faith. Yes, faith in God. But the revelation of Jesus is for the whole world now. Do you know that, I've told you this before, there are more Christians in China than the whole of Europe. I get told sometimes, well, that's unfair for people who live in other parts of the world. Jesus is being glorified more in other parts of the world than it is in Europe. The church is growing faster in other parts of the world than it is in Europe. There are people who, who adhere to other faiths who are coming to faith in Christ Jesus because they have recognized that he is incomparable. If you study a comparison of, of world religions, they do not teach the same. And our difference, whenever you enter conversation in your gracious way that you will, not like me... Although I am gracious about that. It always comes down to who Jesus is, doesn't it? When people knock on your door and they want to talk about spiritual things, it all comes down to who Jesus is. Supreme over the church. God's new creation is taking shape. It's going to be glorious. We're part of it. It's fantastic. And we only have a glimpse now. Of the glory that will be revealed when Jesus comes again. He is the firstborn among creation. What that means is not means he was created. It means his preeminence. And then he is firstborn from among the dead. Eugene Peterson. He will lead the resurrection parade. Death has no hold on us anymore. We have no fear of death. We are all going to die. But we are all going to live in Christ Jesus. A glorious new life. That he is bringing into being. Jesus' resurrection body is the template for our resurrection body. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all pleased with the salvation plan. God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things in heaven and on earth. God was pleased, yes. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were pleased. How does he reconcile? This is the most amazing thing. He reconciles it through his blood. Shed on the cross. And I know that, you know, that sometimes really, how does that, how does that work? Because God, in his perfection, lives on this earth in humanity and does not sin and offers his perfect life as a sacrifice for all our imperfect ones so that when we trust in him, what is his becomes ours. And our sins are forgiven and we have this access to a relationship with Almighty God because of his death on the cross. It's the most powerful thing that ever happened on earth. God came and gave himself As a ransom for you and for me. Through his blood shed on the cross. The cross is a cosmic event. Not just something hidden away outside Jerusalem, outside the city walls 2,000 years ago. It is a cosmic event. It's changed everything. And through his sacrifice, that offer of salvation is available to everybody. Paul says it's available to Jew and Gentile, male, female. If he'd lived today, he would have said it's offered to Jews, Gentiles, male, female, young, old, rich, poor, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, atheist. It's offered to everybody. 
Everyone gets the same offer. The price has been paid. And Paul says that only Jesus can present us before the throne of God without fault and with great joy. On that day. We're all going to stand before the throne of God on that day. And Jesus is the one who presents us without fault and with great joy. Imagine if I had to present myself. God, I'm presenting myself. These are my credentials. I've been a pastor, Baptist minister for 30 years. Let me in. It's not about me or my credentials. It's about have I trusted in Christ Jesus. When I get to stand up, Jesus is my savior. That's how I get in. I would love it if God said, everyone gets into heaven no matter what you've ever done, what you've ever believed. That would be great, wouldn't it? You didn't need forgiveness. It's just everybody in. And it would be full of evil and sin and suffering and pain. And it wouldn't be heaven at all because it would just be what we have now. Jesus offers so much more. He is saying that he's going to recreate heaven and earth. And it's going to be perfect and we're welcome. We're invited. Anyone can come. Everyone can come. All we have to do is trust Jesus. So look at your options available. Who are you going to trust? Who are you believing? Who's telling the truth? We live in an age where we don't know, do we? It's really difficult to say, who's telling us the truth? Now, when Jesus comes, he says, I am the truth. Paul really cares for those believers because he thinks they may be get, being led astray by these guys who have come in with this new fancy teaching that means you take your eyes off Jesus. He's encouraging the believers to continue in the faith. Don't get blown off course. And he emphasizes that once and for all uniqueness of Jesus who has changed our past once we were lost. And now we're found. He's changing our present because we walk with God now through the ups and downs of life. He is with us and he will completely change our future because he has promised that we will be with him. That's why we worship Jesus. That's why as a church we have to keep this central. He is not Comparable to anyone else. And however offensive that may seem, it's the best news you'll ever hear. Because he's the only one who can save. He's the only one who's going to remake this world. Who else do you think can do it? So have you trusted in Christ? And if you have, I just want to encourage you just to keep your eyes on him and know that he is our all-sufficient saviour.
And if anyone ever says, well, you just need a little bit more than Jesus. Well, no, we don't. Or actually, Jesus is just one of many ways. No, not at all. He's everything we need and all that we need. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.